Hey, JCC, happy Sabbath. I hope my sermon last week have challenged some of you to dream bigger than you've ever dreamed before. And today I'm going to talk about the power behind our dream. But before I start, I would like to invite you to bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for challenging us to dream bigger. But Father, we also understand that with a bigger dream, we need to tap on to the true source of power they are making available to us. And as we discuss and we look into the scripture to look for the power you've promised us, Lord, grant us the heart to understand and accept and to receive the power that's meant for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, one of my favorite things in life is muscle car. And in fact, my dream muscle car is a 1967 Ford Mustang and hopefully a Shelby GT version. Well, so I went to the States to do my MDiv a couple of years ago. In fact, wow, it's been 10 years. Um, 2010 was when I left to go to Andrews University. And I had a dream. I had a dream to own a Ford Mustang. And so I went about looking for it. And you know what? In Michigan, it's like near Detroit, uh, where I am. Uh, Barron Springs is really near Detroit, the home of Mustang. And I, I said to myself, I must buy one or else I'll never, ever, ever be able to afford one. And in fact, in Singapore, you can't even own one, even if you have the money, because you can't bring it in. You can own the, the newer version, but you can't own the 1967 Ford Mustang. So I set out on a journey to find my Ford Mustang. Uh, unfortunately, I found a few, but I realized I couldn't afford it. So I changed my mind and I settled for a 1990 Ford Mustang. I still have my Ford Mustang. It was really cheap. It was 2,000 US dollars, a whole 2,000 US dollars. But the thing is, right, where I live in Barron Springs had a problem. It snows from October to April, till April. And sometimes, crazily, one year I was there, it was 2012, I think, it snowed all the way to May. May is supposed to be summer. And if you understand uh, what a Ford Mustang is, it's a rear-wheel drive that you can do donuts in, but it's not the best car to drive in the snow. And I remember my landlord, and he came home one day after I bought my car, and he looked at my car, and he just shook his head, and I saw it from my room, and I can imagine what's, what's going through his mind. is like, young seminarians nowadays, you know, they have no sense, and all they want is to drive sports cars. Uh, well... I really love it because it's really powerful. In fact, I couldn't afford the bigger one, so I got the lesser one where it was a 3.7 liter engine. Still, for such a small and tiny car, it was super powerful. And guess what? I did a lot of donuts, um, a lot of uh, drifting unintentionally. It got to a place where I'm so used to it. I would drive out of my driveway to pick up some of the students that I bring to church and my car's tail would spin out and I would feel like, ah, oh, that's normal. I'll, I'll take it back straight. And the, the passengers in my cars, especially the girls from the dorms will freak out and scream as though I'm, we're going to die. Thank God we didn't. And honestly, thinking back, it was not such a good idea. But man, that power in that engine really drove my car. 
Well, my dream kind of fulfilled. I didn't get my 1967, but I really liked the new Mustang that came out, the, the newest version of Mustang. And so what happened was in 2015, I went back for a summer class in Andrews. And after that, I went to California to meet up with my friends and I hang out a little bit. And I, I rented a car, you know, I rented a car because I was only there for like three days. And so I rented a little Kia Rio. That was my plan to rent a Kia Rio. As I flew from Barron Springs to, to California, I arrived late at night and I, I made my, my way to the dealership and I went up to the guy who was the manager and we got chatting and he's like, hey, what car did you rent? I said, I rented the, the Kia Rio, I think. And he looked out of his, his yard and he says, dude, uh, I don't have a Kia Rio for you. And at that moment, right, uh, one of the Ford Mustang pulled in and the guy returned the car to him. I think there was some miscommunication. And because of that, my car was not transported to the dealership that I was supposed to be at. And he looked at me again, hey, dude, what do you do? You, do, you want, do you want to take the, the Ford Mustang for, for 10 bucks extra? I'm like, yes, please. Well, I gave him my credit card details. I paid a whole extra 10 bucks and I ended up with a Ford Mustang and I really enjoyed my drive. It was the newest one and it was a nice version of it. And the power behind that car was awesome. See, to drive a really good car, to drive a really powerful car, um, you need a really powerful engine. If the power of the engine doesn't fit the car, it doesn't matter how good the car looks, it doesn't matter how beautiful it is on the outside, if it doesn't have the engine to drive it, to give it the power, you can't go very far. So I had drove out the dealership, I was making my way to my accommodation, which was about 30 minutes away, and I decided, you know, I look at what modes were available, and of course there was a mode that's like S, sports mode. Well, you only get three days, change to sports mode. And I went from lane one to lane five in one second. I really enjoyed myself driving. But at the same time, I noticed the fuel gauge would go boop, 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 boop. And I'm like, okay, I gotta chill. I gotta take it easy because we have a really powerful engine. The really powerful engine is sucking all the, the gas out of the tank. And because you need a powerful engine, you get powerful consumption. That's what it is. Today, I'm gonna to talk about the power behind our big dreams. We talked about dreaming big last Sabbath and about how it's bigger than we can ever imagine. But to propel that dream, to make it a reality, we need the power that God has partnered with it, has coupled with it, that is in the scripture. The scripture tells us to dream big, but it also tells us how it should be powered. If you would, Turn with me to Romans 1, verse 16. Romans 1, verse 16. For it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The, the scripture is mighty clear that the power that Christians should claim on is the gospel. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. You know, when I was studying in Andrews, one of the, one of the things is that we will go visit the dorms. We'll visit room by room, the people living there. And, 
and we'll talk to the people who are who are staying in the dorm and try to invite them back to church. You'll be so surprised, right? Your Andrews University is an Adventist uh, school, and the seminary is there. You expect that everyone will be Adventist, but the fact is, about ten percent of them are not. Um, either they come to Andrews because of our diet, because some of them are actually Muslims or vegetarians, and they'll choose Andrews as a, as a school because it's just it fits their diet. But then there are a lot of the others who, like me myself, um, kids who grew up in church but never had a personal relationship with God. And so once they get out of their house, once they are able to go and stay in a dorm, they stop attending church. In fact, there's a, a church that's located on campus called PMC and uh, Pioneer Memorial Church that's pastored by one of my favorite pastors, Pastor Dwight Nelson. And now the dorm is right beside it. And I'll go to the dorm and I'm like, dude, why are you in church? And they say, dude, I'm attending PMC. But the PMC they're talking about is not Pioneer Memorial Church. The church they're talking about is Pillow, Mattress, and Comforter. Well, my church is not the PMC. My church is the, the Andrews Korean Church that's located just outside of the, the school campus. And I'll go visit them after church, room by room, and try to talk to those guys who, who don't, don't come to church. And I always thought, you know, I must be relevant to their needs. I must speak in a way that they understand, and I must use my training, my skill, my logic to convince them back into relationship with Jesus. And well, God did bless our ministry. I didn't do it by myself. My fellow pastors, there were four of us who would visit the dorm. There's only three boys and one girl. The only lady pastor, the senior pastor would visit the girls and three of us will visit the boys. And as you can imagine, more of the boys don't go to church than the girls. Well, and so I had success. I had success. In fact, some of them came back to church after a few months or a half a year of visitation. And I was really proud of myself. I'll be like, James, you got it. You're relevant. You're able to convince them by your rational logic but I soon realized that no it was it was not me that convinced them it was not my relevance it was not my logic but it was God working the power of the gospel you know when we talk about being ashamed we could look at it from being embarrassed being embarrassed by something and not wanting to mention it. Of course, in our daily living, working, playing, we can be ashamed of the gospel by not wanting to admit that we're Christians to those around us, not wanting to, to share when there's an opportunity for us to share the gospel. But I think the Bible's word for ashamed means more than that. It also could be ignoring the gospel, not thinking it's powerful enough. In fact, I thought... I had to convince people to accept the gospel. Not realizing that Romans 1.16 tells us that the gospel itself is the power of God. So what does it mean? What does it mean that the gospel itself is the power of God? First of all, I need to clarify that being relevant doesn't mean having contemporary service in church, doesn't mean that we dress contemporarily. It doesn't mean that we're trying to fit into a certain mode of doing church that's not the traditional way. Being relevant could come in any form. It could be that we're singing hymns because the community we're in likes hymns or they expect the church to sing hymns. That is depending on being relevant 
to share the gospel. It also could be that we think that being relevant is presenting the gospel in a church-like structure. In fact, I have friends who would not visit a church that doesn't look like a church. And they, because of that, they went to another church because it's simply not for the doctrines, the teaching, the truth, but the building looked like a medieval church that they grew up reading in the fairy tales. You know, being relevant is not about the style of worship, the style of preaching, the way people dress, the way people talk or act or how things are done. Being relevant could be just trying to meet the need of those who are trying to share the gospel without the gospel. But that is not the power of God, as the scriptures say. The scripture tells us that the gospel itself is powerful enough. See, it doesn't make sense when I'm driving a Ford Mustang to put a little small engine, one liter engine into it and try to drive, drive that. Although the new Ford Mustang had kind of trying to do that with the electric motor and stuff and the turbo stuff. But that's not the point. The point is when you want to drive something big, you need a powerful engine. May not be the size of the tank, may not be the size of the piston, may not be the size of what it is, but it must generate enough power to drive it. I suspect that the Adventist church around the world, in Singapore especially, I don't know about you in Jakarta, were not having a lot of success in sharing with people simply because we've tried to be relevant, but not tapped into the true power of the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. There is no other options for Christian. If we dream big, if we want this huge dream to fulfill its destiny, if we want people to come to Christ into relationship with Him, we cannot depend on anything else except the gospel itself. For we have sometimes according to a, a, a person who works with churches to set up their audiovisual uh, uh, setup. You know, it's really relevant for us uh, last year when all of a sudden COVID-19 prevented us from meeting in church. And in fact, you in Jakarta and JCC still can't meet in church. There's a guy who started his business um, setting up AV equipments for church. His name is Christopher Benek. And this is a quote from him. He says, having installed AV equipments for many, many churches across the United States and participating in their service because he has to make sure that the equipment he installs works and is, is bringing this feed to the stream and is reaching the people at home. This is his comments after visiting a few hundred churches in the United States installing those AV thing and participating in their worship service. This He's not Adventist. He's just talking about churches in general. This is his comment about modern churches. We have turned many churches into nothing more than glorified entertainment clubs that numb the self-inflicted pain of pride and greed. Instead of helping people develop a new hermeneutic of life and ultimate meaning in this technological age, we perpetuate insufficient theology that leaves people feeling helpless and without hope. You know, people are coming to the churches in throngs because they realize that they can't find hope anywhere else. And this COVID-19 pandemic has shaken them up and woken them to the fact that they need to look for God. And they, they go to the churches thinking that they will find God in there. But the fact is, after they come to church, they can't find the hope. 
that they've been promised or they think they would find because the church ourselves has become ashamed of the power that God has given to us. And so instead of teaching them to embrace the power of the gospel in their lives, of having a new way of interpreting life according to God's view of life, and, and having a new hermeneutics of how to interpret events that happen to them, we try to numb them by, by being relevant, by, by talking about things that seemingly soothe their soul or, or saying things that they, they want to hear and offering false blessings and comfort that they leave the church feeling empty. I'm talking about myself, about ASDAG, that we might have been doing that. We have not experienced the power of God because we've been ashamed of the gospel. You know, Corey Hortman, another author that says, he says that the gospel is not meant to draw a crowd. Isn't that what we're trying to do? We're trying to like, package the gospel in such a nice way. We put nice poster and banner. We, we try to craft our sermons with fancy topics. That's me. I'm guilty. In order to attract people into the church pews. And I realized that that's not what it's about. This COVID-19, this pandemic has caused me to reflect and meditate about what does it mean to be the church and why do we exist? And I realized that it's not about setting up a gimmick and trying to attract people and come for a little while uh, to participate or, and to entertain them when they're in my midst so that they feel like this is awesome, they like the experience and they'll keep coming back, but to offer them the gospel which can transform their lives. And it doesn't matter if they keep coming to my church or they come for one time only. If they come into the church, they should experience the gospel and the power of Jesus Christ. And so I repent of my ways and realize that what, what he continued to say, Corey Hortman says, the gospel is meant to be given to the crowd we already have. See, the Bible doesn't ask us to look for people that is like, we don't really know. You know, one of the things that we do as a church is really crazy is we try to get strangers to come into our buildings or into our programs and then we try to become their friends and then we try to share the gospel with them. I'd be like, why don't we go like take a shortcut and just share the gospel with the friends we already have? Why don't we share the gospel with the colleagues, the classmates, the family we already have? Why do we have to go through the step of dumping money to, to try and advertise ourselves and go out and, and, and give out flyers and create programs that invite strangers into our midst? When we are ready, as I shared last week, when we are ready, have a crowd of people around us waiting for the gospel to be shared. The gospel is not meant to draw a crowd. The gospel is meant to be given to the crowd we already have. Church, dream big and dream of the power. All of us are already in crowds that have not heard of the gospel. We're already in crowds where people are yearning for the gospel. And this pandemic, I tell you, have surfaced those deepest desire and yearning in their hearts that they want to hear the gospel. They want to experience the power of God and you have the opportunity to share it with them. So wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you play JCC, you already have a crowd waiting for you to be their pastor.
The Bible talks about priesthood of all believers, but I want to interpret it for our modern age. The Bible actually calls us to be pastors of all believers. It talks about the pastorhood of all believers. Each and every one of us are pastors in the church. You don't need Pastor James to share the gospel with you. You already know the gospel and you are a pastor with a congregation that's waiting for you to share the gospel with them. So now I'd like to spend some time going to the very key term, key idea we're talking about today. What is the gospel? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 to 24. If you can, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 to 24. It says, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The scripture is so clear. It says the gospel is the power of God. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel. And it goes on to say, same author, Paul, he writes that Christ is the power of God. So JCC, if you do not hear anything else, hear this, that Christ is the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. And the gospel is the power, which means Christ himself is the power. JCC, do you have Christ in your life? Have you experienced Christ daily, moment by moment, as you walk your path as a Christian? But let's go further and explain what it means for Christ to be the gospel. You know, when I was in secondary school, I had a really bad habit. I like to sit on my chair on the two legs of it, you know, a bit like this. And, and my teacher hates it. My teacher would be like, James, chairs have four legs and are meant to be seated on fours. And she's like, you're gonna break your neck falling down sitting on the two, two legs of the chairs. You know, I've repented of it, although sometimes I still go back into the bad habit of sitting on two legs. But like the chair is built with four, the gospel has four legs, like, like a table, like a chair. There's four legs that supports it and only with four legs can it be stable. Any leg that is missing will turn the gospel lopsided. It will not be balanced. You know, some churches prefer to talk about two of the four legs and some of the churches prefer to talk about two of the others. I'm going to first introduce one of the four legs of the gospel. The first leg is creation that we were all created by a creator with a purpose in life. But then all of us, the second part, fell. All of us fell and dropped out of the original design of God. We've all fallen. But then the third leg of the gospel promises that there'll be redemption for all who are willing, for all who accepts. And the fourth leg, which is just as important, says, after redeeming us, there will be a new creation, a recreation of all of us. Those are the four legs of the gospel. And unfortunately, some churches prefer to talk about the fall of humanity. These are most, mostly more of the traditional conservative church. They like to talk about the fall of man, how we're sinful creatures, sinful beings. And then Christ is here to redeem us. 
but they neglect to talk about the fact that we were first created perfect and originally designed to function in a way that God is pleased with. And they neglect to talk about the recreation where we'll, there'll be a new us, there'll be a new person, you know? And then there's some churches who just focus on the fact that God created us and He's going to recreate us. They, they skip the part about men falling and needing to be redeemed. And those are some of the churches that, that just focus on these two things and it means the bulk of the body and that's not balanced too. There are some churches that emphasize on the creation and the fall, how, how we're all sinful beings and, and they stop there offering no hope. And there are some churches that focus just on the redemption and new creation. They don't talk about the fall and people wonder, why do I need redemption when I'm okay? I don't know which part we are, but the gospel has four legs and each of the legs represents Jesus Christ. See, the creation tells us that Jesus is the Logos. He is the word. He has the power. He is a God who loves us. That's why he created us. Jesus Christ, the word, is described in the creation of humanity as part of the gospel. And the fall tells us about how all of us have fallen, have sinned, but Christ sacrificed himself on our behalf. That the consequence of sin is not put upon us, but put upon our Redeemer, our God, who is taken upon himself to die for us on a cross and suffer for us. But there must be a point where we, our Christ must not remain dead on the cross. That He is alive today. We must remind ourselves that He is willing to redeem us and able to redeem us. That Christ is our Savior. He has resurrected and He is able to redeem us from our sinful past. Then there is this new creation. There must be to talk about the new hope that is coming. In fact, the world now realized that we were once created by God as in the original perfect form. I think by now everyone realized all of the world how messed up we are that we're fallen. In fact, recently, just the past week, the shooting has happening in the United States against Asian Americans. That just disturbs me. How people are turning against people and, and killing each other for no rhyme or reason, only because I don't like you. I'm going to kill you. There is a, we're in a fallen state as people in need of redemption. And we need to move forward into the gospel and share with people that although we're sinful, although we're broken, although we're selfish, although we are sinners, that God has redeemed us, that we no longer should be called servants or slaves, but as childs of God, children of God, sons and daughters of God. But redeeming us and keeping us on this earth is not enough. This world is not our home. This world is not functioning according to the original design. Jesus is coming again and he's going to remake this whole world, take away all his brokenness, reset it back to the original design and progress from thenceforth into the true prosperity that he's designed for us to live in. Not just with money and, and huge buildings and big cars like me who won the Ford Mustang. He wants to recreate us into the true prosperity of life where life abundant overflows from all of us when, when we live in the way we're supposed to live. So church, JCC, the four lakes of gospel, are they present in your message? 
I've summarized the key aspects of the gospel, but are they present in your activities, in the words you say, in the things you do, in the, in the way you interact with people, serve people, talk to people, challenge people, guide people? Is it in, does it permeate every single part of JCC? Because no matter how big you dream, if it's not driven by the power that God has given to us, it will not be successful. I know that JCC, you can do a lot more than I can ever imagine and I can ever do over here. But you have to embrace first the dream that God has for you and the power He's designed for it to be built on. Dream big. Claim the authority. Claim the promise God has for you and drive it with the power, with the gospel, with Jesus Christ permeating every aspect of your work. But first... It must start with you. Have you, each and every one of you, listening to this message, have you experienced the power of God? Has He spoken into your life? Have you understood the creation of your life, the fall of your life, the redemption of your life, and the new creation of your life? Then now you can say you're a new creature awaiting the day when you're truly, fully, are recreated into the new body. JCC, I can't wait to see that happen. I can't wait to hear about the news of Jakarta being transformed because one church embraced the dream that God has for them and one church pushed and propelled their dream with the power of God, the gospel, Jesus Christ. Take care until we meet again. Have a good Sabbath.